But I just asked Brad to just share a little bit of his story in the process of him, like God calling them here to um, So, and then he's going to, then, then he's going to pray and then we'll, we'll sing some more songs. Um, well, yeah, thank you for having me here again. Uh, even though it's, uh, even though it's rainy and, uh, I had to fly without seeing the ground and I'm terrified of flying. I'm really thankful to be here, uh, again, uh, yeah, it's we're my wife and I uh, are Mirella is her name. We're really excited to be in this position right now where we're waiting to see God provide and uh, take us where our hearts are, which is to be here with you guys. Which is a strange endeavor because I don't really know you, and uh, you definitely don't know me. So there could be an. Ex- excitement gap there uh, but I, I kind of want to share uh, how we ended up coming to this place of wanting to do this uh, small bit of our story uh, about three years ago uh, maybe for some more context by the, by the beginning of the summer we'll have lived in Portland for eight years we helped start and we've been leading a church there, a Soma church called Bread and Wine. Uh, we've we planted our lives there. We moved there without knowing anyone, just one U-Haul trailer uh, full of stuff that we don't even own anymore. So stuff is pretty stupid. Uh, and we, so for eight years we've been there uh, loving the city. And uh, we moved there thinking we'll never leave. Uh, why would we leave? My wife and I, we both grew up moving a ton. So between the two of us, we went to 24 schools uh, before we graduated high school. So we weren't gung-ho about moving. To me, it was really basically this idol of, I want to live somewhere forever, pastor a church that I plant, and never leave so I could be God of some kind. Uh, and what happened was about three, two and a half years ago in the summer, we were having a conversation, my wife and I, where uh, she basically said, you know what's weird is God's been sort of bringing this up all week as I've prayed, as I've read the scriptures, which is we're not going to live in Portland forever. And I said, wow, I've been experiencing the exact same thing as I've been reading and as as I've been praying. And then she said, that's great, because I also feel like God's saying, in three years we'll be out of here. And I thought, that's really weird. That's exactly the zip code of what I've been thinking about our time here in Portland. And at the moment, we basically thought, I guess there's going to be, we're really terrified of huge earthquake happening. We call it the big one. Uh, we thought, well, maybe there'll be this huge earthquake uh, and we'll have to leave or there'll be some crisis or family drama that will have us leave and go somewhere else. Uh, and we didn't really think about it at all. So we had this really weird conversation and basically put it in a drawer and thought, well, God will make this happen. Didn't really think about it. We bought another house. Uh, we switched neighborhoods. We enjoyed a really fruitful season of ministry in Portland and then about a year, year ago, uh, in oct- last October, October 2015, uh, I went to Prague as part of a SOMA conference. And there is, that's sort of a moment where I had a lot of time to pray and think and felt like God was saying, actually, we're going to send you somewhere positively, and it's time to start thinking about this. You have a year and a half until that three-year mark. And a few weeks later, after we made a list, making lists is so great, Joshua. Uh, We made a list of things that we wanted. We wanted to live in a a city still, or a real city. 
It depends on how you look at Portland. Uh, we wanted to uh, be able to live a life of uh, in a diverse community. So Portland is the widest city in the world. My wife is Brazilian. Our children are Latinos. And not that this is like, you know, you have to have this in your life, but it's kind of cool to watch your children grow up around people that kind of look like them. It's a really weird desire, but we had it. Uh, we had that strongly. Uh, the other thing is we want to be part of starting missional communities, leading missional communities. It's such a deep part of our life and our passion. And we wanted to be part of a team. Uh, we didn't want to just sort of jump in and be some sort of lone ranger church planter. We actually wanted to come alongside people and care and love for a church and, and grow to love a people uh, and to grow and love our neighbors. And so that was our list. A few weeks later, I got to know Trip. Trip and I didn't know each other at all, but we were stuck in this little house in Col- uh, San Clemente. And through that, we basically began to know each other. I began to understand a little bit about what your church was like. And we had a really informal conversation. I think it was informal. Uh, which was basically, maybe we should pray about us moving there, and maybe you should pray about us coming here. And so we did that. Uh, that we, just for context too, had prayed about many things in the past. Um, we had had people you know, want us to move to New York City or move to Austin or move to all these really random places. Uh, and it was, as we had prayed, go away really quickly. Yet this continued to remain. Uh, we got to know Trip and Jessica through the internets a little bit. And then... We came and visited last April. Some of you guys were here when we came and visited. And, you know, Tripp is a pretty good salesman. He has this, like, dry sales pitch, uh, which is, uh, it's, like, covert, subversive. It's like, I'll, you'll, you'll meet all these people, and you'll hear all their stories, and then you'll be hooked. And he also took us on top of the hill, or I think it's a landfill. Someone can correct me. Uh, but the steps, is that what they're called, the Culver Steps? Um, the mountain, yeah, that's good. Uh, got up on top of the mountain, and we uh, trip showed us the whole city, and he was describing the the need for the gospel, and uh, that was pretty a mo- pretty much a moment where my wife and I thought, well, why isn't everyone in the world who's a Christian moving to Los Angeles? Uh, why? Why does Selma plant churches anywhere else? This doesn't make any sense. Why are we planting churches in Portland? It doesn't make any sense. There's such a huge, uh, profound need here. Uh, and, that, and after that trip, we got on the plane and Mirella began to cry, not because she loved Los Angeles so much, but because we realized it was something God was going to have us do. And we basically began this grieving process of we love these people where we live. Uh, we love the people in Portland. We love our friends. We love our neighbors. Uh, we love the people that we've been in community with. And so it was really daunting to imagine that actual leaving separation. And uh, we basically spent a six-month period uh, praying through wrestling with God, through doubts of, is God good enough to provide for us? Seems like a common theme. Uh, in life here, uh, is, will, will God provide for us? Also, for me, a huge theme was, is, uh, will God take care of the people here? Uh, will, he f- will he finish what uh, I started? 
uh, it will God be good in that way? It was actually a really beautiful season. I don't think we even talked very much through that period. It was perfect timing. That's part of the woo, yeah, being hard to get. Uh, and then all I have to say is, uh, I'll make it shorter. Uh, in, in November, we really came to a clear conviction that it's exactly what God wanted us to do. Even with all of those doubts, I don't think there's some sort of magical moment where we thought, oh yeah, God definitely provides, and so we're no longer afraid of that anymore. Does that ring true for you? Um, or, oh yeah, all, everything in Portland is going to be tied in this nice, neat bow, and all of our friends that we love will come to know uh, Jesus as the really good shepherd. Uh, that's not, it doesn't seem like that, that will happen as well. And so, I guess where we're at right now is we're going to move here, uh, for sure, uh, one way or another, and we're waiting on how God's going to provide that sort of money and finances and all that. And I'll say this just sort of as a grand, God is faithful. It's made us kind of laugh at our doubts a little bit. We've, I've only actively been raising support for a couple weeks. And uh, before I started actively like calling people, you have to like call people and ask for money. It's this really humiliating thing. Um, but it's good, I guess. It's great. Uh, but before I even did all that, we had raised uh, 40%. Like, people had called us randomly and said, we're going to give you this much money. Or, or people that had given to us in the past had heard that we were moving and said, well, we're going to give you this much now. And we already had 40%. And really, after two weeks, I was just doing the numbers when I was flying down here. We've raised 80% of the money that we need, uh, which is really bizarre. And there's a whole bunch of other people that are just being... I don't know. They're really excited about you guys. Uh, they're really excited about what God's going to do um, through us. And now we're basically bracing ourselves for all the hardships that will come with that and trusting that God will be present with us. So that's our story. We're really excited to come. That's it. Oh, I'm supposed to pray. All right. Let me, y'all are really nice. Uh, let me pray for us as a church. Uh, Father, we thank you for being so good, for being so faithful, um, and that you even call us to live in a world where we need uh, money and mortgages and rent and all of these things and jobs, and each moment is a moment where you prove faithful to us. Uh, And how much more faithful are you to us to provide your son and your grace and your hope to us uh, beyond even financial measures? Uh, You've been so good. Uh, we thank you for that. We worship you for being the one that, uh, that speaks truth, that is truth, that uh, allows us to see, that brings us into uh, your wonderful family. Thank you, Father. Amen. Didn't know I was going to be like, you're going to get so much of me so fast. Uh, but you are. Uh, today we're going to look at the, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Uh, it's the... The Gospel of John is the last uh, gospel, and it's the weird gospel, and I know you guys have been reading it quite a bit, so I'm pretty excited to, to dive into this story, uh, this parable that Jesus tells about being a good shepherd. Uh, but first, I've been uh, getting into a lot of uh, 1990s, late 80s, Uh, action-adventure movies lately, mostly because they're released on Amazon Prime, so you can watch all the Indiana Jones, which is really great, not the last one, but all the others, and uh, you can watch 
uh, Mission Impossible movies, and and I it, part of it is probably this sick part of uh, re-engaging this part of my life that was really you know filled with tons of change, and I'm going through tons of change, so I'm just gravitated to those happy moments where you're watching Indiana Jones capture the Holy Grail and beat the Nazis, which is really good. Uh, but one of the things that happens in all those stories, which we don't do very much anymore, which is kind of sad, but the stories, each of them are filled with a, a series of chambers where there's a, a treasure at the end, or for Mission Impossible, you know, Tom Cruise, there's this knock list that he has to get to, and there's all sorts of uh, hidden things or tricks that you have to do to go through one door after another. Or in Indiana Jones, if you remember, in the, the Last Crusade, he, at the end of the movie, has to go through uh, all sorts of harrowing things, uh, using his mind, using his heart, you know, all of this, his faith, to get to the Holy Grail. Uh, what I like about those pictures and those things is that actually, to me, it depicts what happens with our hearts or our lives or, or our souls uh, not so much that we have to dig through all that stuff to get to God, but that's essentially what God is doing to get to us. Uh, he's going through all sorts of chambers. Uh, the first chamber might be, is God even real? Uh, and everyone has to walk through that chamber. Uh, God has to get through that uh, barrier, the, bar- the barrage of, um, of stuff that we throw at God around that question. Then there's another question, which is, is God even good at all? Or, or what kind of God is God if he exists? Is he even knowable? Some other of the steps are, can you be a Christian and be smart? Uh, can you be a Christian and be creative? Can you be a Christian and, and belong to other Christians in a church? Can the church actually be a positive thing? These are all the, the questions that, that God and the gospel is actually slowly walking through. Uh, to, to get to our hearts, or to claim our hearts. Maybe some people are born, uh, it seems like, or have a life experience where the booby traps are really easy, and God just goes straight through. Uh, and we've always believed, God's always been good, but for many of us, it's actually a lifelong journey. You can even engage in the Christian faith. You, you believe in God as your Savior, as, as uh, the life-giving one and, and the whole universe that, it, that could only be God, and yet we're constantly basically walking through uh, these chambers, if you will. Uh, there's always this question of, is God really good? Uh, does God really exist? Does that describe any of you? Does anyone want to like... Yeah, let's, let's nod heads, not raise hands, you know? I mean, who are we? Uh, so that's good. Now, that, that comforts me that I'm not the only one uh, that, that struggles to, to be a person of, of doubt and faith, of, of worship and doubt. Uh, to me, I think most of the world, or at least us in the West, the question that really hits us hard is not so much does God exist, but is God good? Uh, what kind of God would I experience if I believed? Uh, see, it's not so much today, I, I don't think, at least in my experience, uh, a, a, a rational question of, is there a rational case for the existence of God? I think mostly we push past that to think, but if there is a God, what type of God is he? Uh, see, it's more of an experiential uh, moment of how would I how would I know 
if he would care for me, if he would be good for me. Uh, what is the point to God uh, if he isn't good, right? Uh, what kind of uh, life would I be putting myself into if there is a God and I acknowledge him as God, but what, what will he do for me? What, what travesties will I experience? Will he be there in the hospital? Will he be there, you know, in the courtroom when my life is legally getting broken apart, you know? What kind of God is he? And I think this, this passage, uh, John chapter 10, comes in the Gospel of John after he's already proved he can give people bread and he can be the bread of life. He's talked about himself being light. He's talked about being truth. Uh, the passage right before this, he goes from being a person uh, to giving people sight who are blind. There's all pretty remarkable good things. And yet this comes uh, actually in the, the Feast of Hanukkah, uh, which is in the Bible, uh, just here, just this moment. Um, but it comes during the, the, the Feast of Hanukkah. And each of the feasts, the, the people of Israel had, had many feasts or many parties, basically like celebration Sundays, where everyone would gather around and they would sing their songs and they would, they would come together for a specific purpose. Uh, the Feast of Hanukkah is pretty unique because it's not given to Moses or the people to, to live out this, this celebration. But it was a feast where they would get together and reflect on their leaders. It was kind of a let's get together and reflect on our bad leaders kind of moment. Uh, and Jesus shares this parable amidst that. Uh, he's essentially asking the question and then answering the question, uh, is God good? Uh, is God a good person to believe in? Uh, is, he, is Jesus actually the, the better leader that we've always longed for? And, and Jesus does this by pretty much critiquing all the other people. Uh, one of the things that's interesting, and I'll just read this one section at the very end of the chapter, so kind of doing like a Quentin Tarantino thing where we go to the end and we flash forward to the beginning, um, and we'll tell the story. Uh, but in uh, verse uh, 37, uh, Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees after he shared this parable about the Good Shepherd, and he says, Look, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, if I'm not doing those works, if I'm not good, if I'm not doing what God does, then don't believe in me. He says, but if I do them, even though you do not believe in me, at least believe in the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and that I am in the Father. Jesus is so comfortable with people coming to him and questioning his goodness altogether. That's pretty remarkable. But he also offers this. He says, look, if I'm not doing these things, if, I, if, the, if the stuff that I do isn't good, if the stuff that I'm doing is not all authority on heaven and earth, if I'm not here breaking through every longing you've ever desired and bringing healing to every bit of brokenness, then you don't have to believe in me. But if I do, you should at least believe in the healing. You should at least believe in blind being able to see. And if you believe that the blind are being able to see and that people will find healing and that I am actually good, you'll know that I am God. Pretty great rationale, right? So this is the story that kind of leads to that confrontation. Uh, and it begins with this slice of life parable. Uh, the verse one, it says, Truly, truly I say to you, 
He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in through another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will not follow, they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Good stranger danger there. Uh, Then he says in verse 8, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And I have a hunch we don't understand either, because it's pretty pretty old school shepherding stuff going on here. Uh, Back in the day, way back in the day, though people still do this today, I've been told. My brother did a documentary about Bedouin, you know, sheep herder people, uh, and they still do this to this day. Uh, but, but it was really prominent then, as, as a shepherd would actually roam, like free-range stuff. Uh, the sheep would roam around, and they'd eat grass, and the, sh- the shepherd's job was to guide the sheep to places where they could drink water, where they could eat good food. But then at night, they would, they would bring them back to a, a pen of sorts. So they, what they'd do is they'd build a, a, a brick wall uh, that faced a cave. So they'd use the cave or a cliff or the, the opening mouth of a canyon, and they would build sort of this wall around uh, to keep the sheep inside and keep them protected. And then they'd put thorn bushes on top of the wall so that people couldn't climb over, uh, to all to protect them through the night, or wolves or, or things like that. And then there would be a small door that the sheep can come through or that the shepherd could come through. And in that door, they would put more thorn bushes or a shepherd would actually sit there at the door. Uh, Also, what you should understand is, uh, and they do this even to this day, shepherds would sing a tune or they'd they'd carry a flute with them. And they'd play the same pattern over and over again, the same tune, the same melody, or they'd sing the same melody to their sheep, sort of training them like you would, you know, any normal animal, whether it's, you know, Shamu or your pet uh, dog. Uh, Shamu died, right? That was probably too soon. Uh, Or, I don't know, never mind. Uh, so they, uh, so they would play this flute. Uh, they, would, they, would, they would have a voice. And the sheep would know who their shepherd was. And they would follow that shepherd everywhere he went. Uh, you also, kind of to understand the story, need to remove some of the uh, pictures that you have of shepherds as these nice, sweet, little old men who are caressing a little lamb. Uh, that might be one picture of a, sh- of a shepherd. But these men were... Uh, rough people uh, with calloused hands. They, they worked for a living. They, they carried staffs to beat away uh, harsh animals that would come and destroy. And they, they had to know the land. They had to know where they were going. The, the, the shepherd was the person who uh, would put his whole life, as he turned around and look at, looked at his own sheep, he would say, this is my whole livelihood. This is my whole even existence. is these people or these sheep. Um, that's the, the story that Jesus is telling. He's sort of saying, this is a slice of life. Don't you get it? Uh, and they don't get it. I don't think we get it either. You know, you might be thinking, are we the sheep? Is that what he's saying? Uh, or maybe we're the, the shepherds. And so he's saying, hey, if you want to be a good leader, you need to play a flute and lead them around or something. Uh, 
Are we supposed to fight thieves? Is that what Jesus is saying? Uh, is he telling to tell us we need to be more cautious about strangers? Is that what he's trying to get to? What's interesting is in the other Gospels, each of the parables that Jesus tells is mostly about the kingdom of God. Like, this is how God works in the world. In the Gospel of John, each of the parables is about who God is. Their core, God's core identity. So they don't get it, and I don't think we do either. Like, that's not enough, right? Is anyone like, yeah, I totally get what, the, what Jesus is trying to say. No, you don't. I know you don't. Uh, then it says in verse 7, uh, I struggle with pride. Uh, verse 7 is, So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. It says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he'll go in, and he'll go out, and he'll find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, and to kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life, and that they might have it abundantly. The first thing Jesus says is, remember that, that thorn bush or that shepherd that's there at the opening that the sheep come in and out of? He says, that's me. He says, I'm the door. I'm the gate. If anyone wants to come into safety, they come through me. Says, I'm the one that protects. I'm the one that, that cares. And he pits that against the thieves and the robbers. The thief and the robber comes to take you, to, uh, to use you, only for a little while. You know, uh, I grew up in Western Europe, partly, and uh, for about 10 years of my life. We had a huge pickpocketing population. You're always being taken advantage of. Your window was always being broken as you parked it at night. And what was so sad about it is they would just come, they would break in, they would grab something really quickly just so they could use it. And by the end of the day, you know, your wallet or your ID was just sort of thrown in a trash can somewhere, right? Like this is what thieves and robbers do. Um, I know because I've stolen some stuff before, you know, like anyone else in high school really cool like that? (laughs) Good. Uh, Where you go and you just take something and you don't even care about it and you ditch it later on. Jesus saying, the people that came before me, they're thieves and robbers. Do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about all these religious leaders, all these people that have come before, who've tried to say, hey, look, I'll take care of you. Or all the people that come in through some other way, just to sort of steal uh, and kill and destroy. The thief doesn't care about you. The thief only wants you for a short time so he can sell you or eat you, devouring you. And Jesus says, though, I'm the door, I'm the gate. Enter by me and be safe. Be secure forever. He says, come in and out of this door, me. You'll go to life, life abundant. And you've likely experienced spiritually, relationally, emotionally, religiously, uh, many thieves in your life. You've experienced the con artist that sort of comes and the con artist leader even that comes and sort of tries to lure you away into their own little system thing uh, just to use you for a moment. Uh, A thief might come in and say, you need to do these things, do these activities for me. 
And if you drive yourself, and if you do these things, if you do them these, these ways, then we'll accept you. But only just to use you. Or perhaps you felt like, at many times, there's no door to the pen. There's no one out here looking out for me. There's no one who sees me, who knows me. I am just a roaming wild animal for the wolves to destroy, for the thieves to come. Right? Maybe you've also experienced uh, this, not so much in religious leaders or in the sense of abandonment, but maybe even in your own lives with who your fathers are or who your mothers are, where it's like they'll come uh, for just a brief moment, giving you some gifts, taking some pictures with you, only to leave and go somewhere else. Jesus says, I am the door, the permanent door. He places himself at the entrance to the safe, secure place. He leads people out to abundant life. Uh, The next thing Jesus says um, is he says, I'm the good shepherd. In verse 11, he says, he says that. He says, I'm also the good shepherd. Only Jesus can tell a story where he can become like every part of the story. It's one of his things that we don't have. He says, I'm also the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He who's a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolves coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees. The wolf snatches them up and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not in this fold and I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice so that we will be one flock with one shepherd For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay my life down that I may take it up again. No one takes this life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So Jesus says, I'm not just the door, the path towards being safe and secure. He says, I'm also the good shepherd. And he pits that against the hired hand. Uh, The person who's there just for the money, just for the paycheck. The person that looks at the sheep and says, oh, I can use them uh, for a while. And you've likely encountered many hired hands like this before as well. Uh, The person who's always there, but as soon as it's really hard, or as soon as you become really hard, they're no longer there. They run away. They scatter. Uh, The people of Israel had an excellent history of this kind of leader, this kind of person. Uh, Kings who were really good kings as long as it was really good for them to be a good king. Uh, they They were used to, even at this moment, Pharisees who were really good leaders. The Pharisees get a bad rap sometimes. They were people who saw the Old Testament and they said, well, we've forgotten God so many times and God is claiming he wants to do something really good in our world through us. This is is the Pharisees' mind frame. And they thought, 
what we need to do is help people and fan the flame and foster this deep, sincere devotion to God so God won't abandon us anymore and so God will do this really good thing through us. But we have to do a really good job. That's kind of the beginning of the Pharisee movement. Uh, They wanted to avoid going back into exile and all those sad things. But what they became, these Pharisees, was we must make people follow God. And if we make people follow God, and if they do all the right stuff, then God will do something. And it will be really good. That basically evolved into, uh, by the time Jesus came, to thinking we get people to do the right stuff, and we get to do stuff through them. God was pretty much removed from the equation then. This sort of pattern, I think we experience often, right? Uh, We don't care about you. I'm just using you. You help me feel good. I'm using you for things that God is going to do. Uh, You've probably also, you know, as I read this passage, I think, that's kind of how I treat my children most of the time. Like, if I could just get you more efficient, more uh, compliant, my life would be way easier. And we could do really fun stuff if you would just pay attention and listen and do what I tell you. And then when they start to hit you back, you think, wait wait a second. Like, this isn't how it's supposed to work. And then we leave, right? This is like fatherhood 101, the bad version. Um, But Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. It's completely different than that. Do you see what he says? He says, uh, the hired hand used the sheep and then run away. The good shepherd knows the sheep. Like he knows the people. And they know him. He calls to them and they hear his voice. He lays his life down and he picks it up again. Who does he do that for? For his own sheep. Jesus sees all the wickedness, the evil, the destruction that's already even happened in your life, that you've already done through your life. He's seen the destruction that's happening to your life, even in this moment, and he does not run away. He lays his life down, and he picks it back up again. Jesus is a good shepherd. We can see uh, in a few moments of the Old Old Testament. Uh, One is... Psalm 23, which is a really famous shepherd thing. One thing you should know, too, is there's no language about leadership in the Bible. So any, like, Christian leadership book, it's like trying to describe biblical leadership. uh, That doesn't really exist. Like, the words don't exist in the Bible. What does exist is this picture of a shepherd. This is what it means to, to care for people. He says this about how the Lord is a shepherd in Psalm 23. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's this world, he says, I will not fear evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the Good Shepherd. Uh, You can also look at Isaiah uh, 40, uh, verse 11. I would read the whole thing, but I'm sure there's no time for that. But verse 11, he says, He, this is the Great One of God who's coming to make all things right, he says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom, and he will gently lead those that are with young. This is how God is a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. Then there's one other piece to this parable. I don't know if you hear it, but for Jesus to say, I am the door, and then for him to say, I am the good shepherd, he's also saying something about you, which is that you are his sheep. Do you hear the the tenderness there of Jesus? To say, I'm the good shepherd is to also say, you belong to me. It's not just, this is what I'm like, but it's also what you are like. You are a good shepherd. You belong to a good shepherd. You belong to him. He speaks and the blind see. He calls out. Who is he calling out to? He's calling out to you. Who does he know? It's you. The big question of, is God good? Can I trust him? I think often, at least my life, I've imagined God as um, some grand chess player. And he's trying to collect pieces. I often think I'm like the queen, you know, like the best piece. Um, I used to think I was the king, but then I realized that's not a very good piece. So it's like, I'm the queen. But maybe you think, oh, I'm just a pawn or something like that. But no, no matter how you think of it, you might think of, oh, God's just trying to gather these pieces together. To make himself great. He just like wants to use us for that. And that's what it means to belong to God. When really what Jesus is saying here. And what God says in Psalm 23 through David. This beautiful poem is saying. No, no. You belong to me. And I am the shepherd. The shepherd that takes you to to clear waters. to, To wonderful refreshment. That provides what you need. I bring you those things, and that brings glory to my name. Not, not gathering together a bunch of chess pieces to carry out my conquests. It says, you belong to a good shepherd. This, uh, this also says something about how you belong even in a church, or who you belong to in a church. Like, you belong to God in this church, Right? And any good shepherding that, that Trip does or that Ryan does, y'all are like, that's so good, hand gesture-wise. Um, or any good shepherding that your missional community leaders might do. Like any time you get to be known, like, like you shared in the back. Or any time you see your needs provided for through, through this body. Or any time someone cares and calls to you to, hey, don't run away, come back over here. It's just a faint whisper or shadow of how God is actually a good shepherd to you. Uh, Any um, 
good shepherding that I might do when I finally move here is the same way. One thing I know for sure is that uh, Tripp and Ryan have already let you down. I already know for sure that I will, certainly, because I can easily use people as a hired hand. I can easily even uh, be like a thief. Anything that we do that's really wonderful and good is just a faint whisper of God being a good shepherd. But what that means is when we belong to the church, we're not placing our trust or whether God is good or not based off the leaders that we have. Um, It's based off of the leader, the shepherd, the good shepherd that God is. He says, I'm the door, I'm the one that lays my life down, and I pick it back up again. This is also crucial for mission. I don't know if you can like see that here as well, but, but it's crucial that we know that we belong to a good shepherd, not, um, not a, a chess piece master. He says, when you belong to a good uh, shepherd, that means that when we engage in loving our neighbors or when we engage in loving each other, uh, or the least of these, or the marginalized, or our own children, we're we're doing so knowing that there is a God who knows, who sees, who protects, who comes. Uh, Or as the psalmist writes, who comforts us with his goodness and his mercy, who walks with us. As we do the loving our neighbor thing, or I believe the charge to you guys this year is to actually grow in loving the marginalized or the vulnerable around you, you'll quickly say, I need more boundaries. I need a fence to protect myself from these people. Jesus says, and his theory is, I'm the good shepherd and I'm the door. See how that radically changes how we engage others and how we love others? You can't love uh, those who are different from you. You can't even engage the things that are hard unless you, you believe that God is actually good. Lastly, um, and I'm sure I'm out of time, but lastly... There's a call and a response that Jesus basically gives to people through all of this. Uh, in, in verse 17, which I've already read, he says, The reason the Father loves me is that I lay my life down and I take it up again. Right before that, he also describes how he's going to gather people that are outside of this flock. He's actually saying, people who aren't Jewish will also belong to this. I'm going to go and gather all the sheep. How is he going to gather it? How does he call? How does he lead people to really wonderful pastures? He says, I lay my life down by my own choice. It's pretty important to to kind of distinguish. He's decided to die. Uh, The passion of God. To, to take on every wound, every brokenness, to essentially say, I will take all the pain and anguish, all of the sin done by all the thieves and robbers, which is us, and say, I will die. 
I will lay my life down. Every time the wolves come, every time someone's seeking to devour, I'll be the one that's devoured. He also says, I have the authority to lay my life down. Jesus has the power to never die. He also has the power to remove his life from existence. The self-denial of God, the self-denial of his own life. I lay my life down. Then he also says, I have the authority to take it back up again. Uh, There's not some fancy magic show and Jesus raises from the dead. The good shepherd is someone who lays their life down, dies, and then comes back powerfully to life. Which means these these other people have no power over you. Uh, No no power over the things that that truly matter forever and ever. Uh, No power uh, to identify you as a type of person. Uh, no power to, uh, to shame you or to rebuke you. It's, it's Christ who has the power and the authority to do that because he's the one who dies and comes back to life. And so that's the call. This is how Jesus is calling to the world. This, this story, this reality that we so deeply want to be true. He's saying, this is how I'm good. That's the, the key through that chamber of, is God even good? It's, I died and rose again. This is how I'm good. And we can talk later about how that's like a trustworthy fact. And then the response is, one, it says here in this passage, some people said, he has a demon or he's insane. And that's really one of the only ways to kind of look at Jesus. There's only three. One of them is to say, Jesus is insane. And that he's saying all this stuff almost makes him abusive to say, hey, you can believe in me and and I'll do all this for you. If he's crazy and if he's insane, then like, it's almost demonic that he would be leading people into this thing, right? Or you can be like a Pharisee. That's the other response. They get mad at him and it's one of the deepest ironies in the whole Gospel of John is they come to him and they say, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you but it's for blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself God. Like, we're going to stone you because you keep claiming to be God. The deep irony is, right, their, their response to God is, you're not, I am. They're going to stone him for claiming to be God because they've already claimed themselves to be God. That's one response, too. Okay, I'm in this world, it's full of craziness and chaos. I will make the rules and be my own shepherd. I will be God. And then response number three is, you see it in verse 41. It says, And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. The call of Jesus is to say, this is how I am. I'm the good shepherd who knows you, who calls you, who, who serenades the world with my death and resurrection. That's how I'm calling out to you. Come and believe that I am good. 
If you don't trust in that, trust in the healing that I'm already doing in your life. The healing that's happening in those around you. Trust in, look at the works and find me. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the good shepherd. You're the one that uh, cares deeply for us. God, I pray for us to have uh, a deeper sense of, of what it means to be secure in your flock. Give us ears to recognize your voice, to, to hear uh, your beautiful song and melody to us, which is, uh, I will lay my life down for you. Help us to receive that. Uh, help us to, to grow in our worship for you as the one who is good. Help us to engage in others and, and to love others from a confidence of who you are and that we would look to you as the door. We look to you as the one who cares and satisfies our souls. We love you because you've already begun to tell us those things. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.